Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, July 15th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, happy belated Bastille Day. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I like lost have- half my voice there on the intro, too. That was fun. <laughs> I celebrated Bastille Day by having tonsillitis still. Yeah, Yeah, it's a little hard. Uh, You went a little hard on the storming of the prison. (laughs) Yes. I didn't get to wish you that actually on the episode for July 14th because instead of a Today on Broadway, we had a Tell Me More in which I spoke with the incredible Tony nominee Beth Malone. She, in fact, herself. Very jealous. Was also getting over a little bit of an illness. She had done something on uh, America's Independence Day. She said she ate something and she had gotten a little food poisoning. I talked mm. to her to a couple days after. Oh, man. Um, but it was a great uh, opportunity to talk to her. She, as we are recording, she is a part of Night of a Thousand Judies, which yes. hopefully you can still watch um, so. on, on YouTube. But she talks about why uh, that event and helping... LGBTQ youth is so important to her. She talks about the things she learned at the stage door uh, of Fun Home, and she talks about getting the call that uh, the Unthinkable Molly Brown was going to close early off-Broadway, and we talked about her living her quarantine life out in Colorado. Uh, So it was a great Uh. conversation, despite her illness. So that is in both your regular and Patreon feeds. Very jealous. So check that out. Very jealous. She's great. Yeah, she was fantastic. Um, And then tomorrow, we won't have a Today on Broadway episode. Instead, I'll have an interview with Professor Jordan Shieldkraut, who wrote a book called In the Long Run, which looks back at looks back at the century between 1918 and 2018, and discusses the long running Broadway plays uh, in that time, not musicals, but plays. It was a fantastic conversation. I really, really enjoyed Ooh, it and learned a lot. Love so, that. Um, would uh, recommend you listen to that and then go out and get his book as well. We'll probably throw yes, a link in the show notes it. too. So, all right. So, Ashley, of course, you can get all of those episodes in. Uh, Patreon, before you get them in the regular feed, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon, patreon.com slash broadwayradio. All right, Ashley, on Tuesday night, the American Theater Wing, and I guess still the Village Voice, I guess they're still involved, Mm, um, even though they don't exist anymore. Yeah, rest in Uh, peace. Yeah, RIP Village Voice. They had their delayed, but their 2020 Obie Award ceremony was hosted by Comedian, actor, and writer Cole Escola and featured performances by Michael R. Jackson, Seikon Singbla, Sar Nagaju, and Lashans, as well as her daughter, Celia Rose Gooding. They also had a very fun, multi-cast performance of Merrily We Roll Along. Um, mm. they, they had folks from the York Theater Company revival, as well as folks from the original Broadway and Fiasco Theater revival. Um, and uh, Shayna Taub also did the In Morium segment. Uh, segment. So um, I think that is still going to be available on the American Theatre Wing's official YouTube channel. I believe so. So, yeah. so check yeah. that out. Uh, but let's get into the awards. Now, remember, they don't just do like one aw- one winner per section. They do multiple right, winners. Right. So in the playwriting category, the awards went to Will Arbery for Heroes of the Fourth Turning, Michael R. Jackson for A Strange Loop, and Haruna Lee for The Conception and Writing of Suicide Forest. For direction, they had four winners, it looks like. The first one goes to Joanne Akalaitis for Mud Slash Drowning, Kenny Leon for Much Ado About Nothing at the Shakespeare in the Park, Whitney White for Our Dear Dead Drug Lord, 
and less, and less waters for sustained excellence in direction. The only winner in the choreography category was Camille A. Brown, and that just went to her sustained excellence in choreography. As, as it should, yeah. As it should, yes. <laughs> um, in the performance category, this is, again, just performance, no gender differentiation between them. Um, interestingly enough, though, they didn't list them individually for this, these first winners. They gave performance awards to both uh, Liza Colenzias and Elizabeth Rodriguez for Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven. They listed them together, I guess because they're in the same show, rather than listing them individually. I thought that was interesting. Mm. Uh, but then we had in the performance category Emily Davis for Is This a Room, Edmund Donovan for Greater Clements, April Mathis for Tony Stone, Joe Ngo for Cambodian Rock Band, who I said if this show was on Broadway, he would be one of, if not the prohibitive Tony favorite. Mm. Uh, and then Deirdre O'Connell for Dana H. There was also a number of special citations, including, this is just a couple of them, but um, a couple of the special citations included the creative team and ensemble of Heroes of the Fourth Turning and Tina Sater for the conception and direction of Is This a Room? All good choices. Yep. And then the Lifetime Achievement Awards went to Tim Sanford and Vinnie Burroughs. There were other design awards in there and other special citations that I didn't mention. But if you would like to see all of them, uh, all of the winners of the 2020 Obie Awards, we will have a link in the show notes. Very good. Very good. I'm really interested because you're doing the Heroes of Fourth Turning thing this weekend, right? Uh, yes, Saturday. I'm I really interested to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing that it's gotten all of this love because when you think about a show written by a gay liberal about, like, not even mid, yeah, (laughs) about mid, not even Midwestern, but like Great Plains Mountain Region Catholic conservatives. Appalachia. Well, I don't even. Is it Appalachia? I I don't. I was gonna say I don't think it's actually set in Appalachia. I thought it was. I thought it was in like Montana or something. Might be. Might be. uh, But either way, like that's not. You think of like that's just like this performative, annoying, like preaching. But everyone says it's not, so uh, I'm very excited to see it. I know it didn't resonate with you as much as it did other people. didn't, but, but I wish I could see it again. Though I know that they sent me an email on Tuesday saying that they're releasing $5 tickets. So yeah. <sighs> might have to scrounge for some uh, <laughs> money in my non-couch, my yeah. non-existent couch. Yeah, yeah we'll see. It's definitely uh, what I'm looking forward to, but. All right, Ashley, in other news, on Monday, it was reported that everybody's favorite Broadway producer, Ken Davenport, has been hired as an advisor of theatrical (laughs) development and production for Primary Wave Music Publishing. Primary Wave owns the musical catalogs of such artists as Bob Marley, Whitney Houston, Ray Charles, Smokey Robinson, and Burt Bacharach. So I would imagine that at some point, in the future, whenever that Getting might jukebox be. jukebox musicals yeah. of literally all of this. Yeah, going to have a ton of jukebox musicals of those folks. We've talked actually Thank about God. a Bob Marley musical that was supposed to be opening right. in 2021 in the West End. That is actually right. approved, like his daughter is involved with. Um, so that should, be, uh, that should be really interesting. Uh, but speaking of bad ideas, uh, after years of development, <laughs> Grammy-winning singer-songwriter G. Tom Mack told Sci-Fi that plans for his musical adaptation of the film The Lost Boys is aiming for a late 2021, early 2022 debut. Now, Mack wrote the film's theme song, Cry Little Sister, and said that in the summer of 2019, along with his producers, he spent nearly a month in England meeting with artists to build the show's creative team. Now, Ashley, I... 
The Lost Boys is an iconic film. I don't know. I can't place uh-huh. the song Cry Little Sister, but has there ever been a vampire musical that didn't suck? Oh, no, no pun, No pun intended. Uh, um, literally hey, just came really up good. with that off the top of my head. But like, <laughs> there have been a lot of like musicals about vampires. Like and Dance none of, of the Vampire. Well. <laughs> I was going to say like Dance of the Vampire. Lestat. There was a Dracula yeah. musical. Like, I mean, oh, Bat, God. Yeah. Bat Boy. Does that Bat Boy count? But uh, I don't think so. But I love Bat Boy. I don't think Boy. so. No. Yeah. I think that's a stretch. But yeah. yeah they're I, usually I, not very good. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I, huh? think, I think maybe this will be the one. Maybe this will be the one that breaks in. I'm not holding my breath. Okay. Mm. <laughs> anyway, moving on, we've got two articles from The Stage, which is a, a British theatrical publication. In the first, they report that earlier this year, during the pandemic shutdown, the Ambassador Theater Group reached out to the Old Vic to see if they would be open to an acquisition. However, in a statement, the Old the old Vic said that ATG, quote, did approach the Old Vic some weeks ago, but this offer was declined immediately and definitively. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, the other story is obviously specifically about UK theater artists, so take that with a grain of salt. But based on some Instagram memes that have, like, pie charts in them and stuff that show pretty similar data, I don't think that the results uh, that we're going to talk about are exclusive to the London theater scene. But in the article, they discussed the results of a survey that talked to over 8,000 freelance theater workers. The article says, quote, a quarter of freelance theater workers have been unable to access emergency income of any kind, and a third are considering leaving the industry altogether. They get into more details about how many theater workers were able to receive support from the government's relief plans over there, as well as what areas of the UK are the hardest hit in terms of the theatrical landscape mm. and a lot more. But that's a little bit more specific to UK stuff. But uh, if you want to look at all of that, we'll have the results you know, in a link in the show notes. But Ashley, I think mm-hmm. that a a not insignificant percentage of theater workers consider leaving the industry at all times, <laughs> even in a good say, year. Yeah, exactly. But do you think that the survey's one third number sounds right for theater folks in New York and the U S at large? I think that's mostly fair. I think I saw a pie chart on Monday at some point about what New York theater workers are doing right now, if they've left the area or they stayed in New York or what, or they've considered leaving but didn't. And I think it was somewhat on par of that. And that's just as far as, you know, leaving New York, not never working in theater again. Uh, so I, I, I personally think it sounds right, especially if likewise in New York and the US, freelance theater workers aren't receiving their emergency, emergency income of any kind. Because what are you going to do? Like, even if you want to stay, if there is <laughs> no <laughs> way to make money. Yeah, there's not really that much you can do about it. You, your, your options are very limited. And, as a freelance worker who has not received any kind of emergency income, I would say that uh, if I was in that situation, I would probably have to think about leaving my job, too. God, that's so sad. And, yeah. and, and not only sad, but frustrating. The, because infuriating, yeah. It's just so, so stupid. You know, it's just so dumb. It uh, all could have been prevented. Right. It just... Is that a TikTok video that you're singing? <laughs> um, it's just all of it. It's just so stupid and so 
I mean, and it, I don't want to get into like the politics yeah, of that stupid, like that new find something new campaign that the White House launched. Like you, first. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh- that's, All right, we're not going to yeah. get into that. Let's move on, <laughs> Ashley, to something that will make me just as angry uh, okay, a little bit good. for different reasons. But our friend Mark Hirschberg wrote an article in Forbes over the weekend that made the case for one way that the Broadway League can promote diversity. In the past, uh, James and I, I think, have talked about this more than you and I have, Ashley, but we've talked about the fact that there's these tax incentives that productions get from different states or parts of the country uh, if they do out-of-town tryouts there or launch tours from certain locales, well, Hirschberg suggests that those incentives should be in part tied to a production making, quote, good faith efforts to achieve their diversity goals before the tax credits are awarded. He cites the 2019 New York State Television Diversity Tax Credit Bill as a model. And Ashley, I understand the pragmatism of this idea, and especially since This is a Forbes article, so naturally they are always going to be looking on the financial side of things. So I don't want this to come out as an attack on Mark or his idea, but I hate this idea. Uh, (laughs) Not not in practice, but in principle. Okay. I I don't want a Broadway league in which producers have to be monetarily incentivized to increase diversity both on and off stage. Oh, God, no. Yeah. I, I want a... A Broadway league in which producers actually want to increase diversity both on and off stage and are willing to do the things necessary in order to make it happen on their own. Sure, but, sure. But more importantly, I want B, a Broadway league in which its membership is actually diverse mm-hmm. on its own. Until we get that, things like this, as well-intentioned as they might be, will always reek of tokenism being done simply to cynically satisfy a quota. And it'll feel like giving performance of color breadcrumbs and telling them that it's steak. I am, I'm of course grateful for any steps forward in battling the systemic racism that is inherent in theater and um, honestly in all institutions. But I hope that someday very soon we can get to the point in which you know, get to a point in which people in power actually feel personally invested in creating change, not just doing it as lip mm-hmm. service to mollify the masses, or even worse, just to save a few bucks on an out-of-town tryout. I, again, yeah. I, I'm not anti this idea. Very, very idealist of you. Very optimist. Well, but, yeah, right. That's what I mean. Like, I, I, I don't – I'm not against this as an on-ramp, but I've seen it in, you know, in professional sports. Like, the NFL has this thing called the Rooney Rule, which was set up in an honor of – not in honor, but, you know, at the behest, the former Pittsburgh Steelers owner, Art Rooney, in which for any head coaching and I think maybe even general manager position, you are required – to at least interview a person of color for that job, unless you're like promoting somebody from within or have some other, you know, mm. overriding reason. But that's been done now. And people used to say that this is fine, even if they don't get hired, because it gets their names um, out there in the press as being a, a head coach candidate and it gets some experience. Mm. But now people just work around it and like don't actually do it seriously and just like go through the motions of doing it and it's not actually helping anything you know so i i I just worry that things like this that feel like they could make a difference will be done just as far as the people with the financial investment into the shows feel like it can help them make money and it won't actually do any lead to anything that moves progress forward right so and as you as you said it's done out of cynicism absolutely yeah, it's just I I am not super 
I, I, I understand the importance of these things as on ramps, but I don't think that this can be an answer. This has to be mm-hmm. part Agreed. of the beginning of something. But Agreed. Absolutely. Anyway, all right, let's move on, Ashley, to some feel-good recommendations. You're first. right. You did get angry. I was good like, th- angry. Good thing. Good thing, too. Good, yeah, just inspired with anger. <laughs> um, all right, that's, gotta, my, that's my default mood. Yeah, that's my memoir, inspired yeah. by anger. No, um, all right, so I've got three recommendations, one of them coming up next month, one of them coming up next week, and one of them available now. The first was announced on Monday that the great Joel Grey will direct a reading of Paul Osborne's On Borrowed Time as a benefit for the Actors Fund. The cast will include such Tony winners as Blair Brown, Bill Irwin and B.B. Newworth, as well as Philippa Sue, Stephen Skybell, and the great Sam Waterston. Act 1 of the live reading will take place on Wednesday, August 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and Act 2 on Thursday, August 6th at 7 p.m. as well. We will have a link in the show notes of where you can check that out next month. Then yesterday, we learned that the Transport Group will be releasing a filmed performance of their critically acclaimed world premiere musical Broadbent, Arkansas, for four weeks of streaming beginning on Monday, July 20th. The great Chuck Cooper will host the live stream at transportgroup.org free of charge. In lieu of a ticket fee, however, the company is encouraging contributions to be made to the Black Theater Network at blacktheaternetwork.org. I will be Very nice. gobbling that one up yep. as I am oh, yeah. trying to find all streamed theater that I possibly can. And finally, the thing that's available right now in a video that if you haven't seen it yet, literally stop what you're doing and watch it. We will <laughs> be here. Pause this podcast and go over. We will be there. Uh, we will be here. But sure. on Monday night, Shoshana Bean hosted a fundraiser, actually for the third year in a row, uh, for Beaverton High School's Performing Arts Department. In addition to Bean, of course, performing, she was joined by her one-time Broadway Dr. Pometer, Jeremy Jordan, and her friend and frequent duet partner, Cynthia Erivo. And there were a special, you know, ton of special guests as well who made little, like, Instagram video appearances. But the highlight of the night was at the very beginning, in which show was joined by 10 other former Elphabas for an <laughs> epic performance of Defying Gravity. Let's run through them. She was joined by, and not in appearance order, but she was joined by the OG, well, actually, the two OG Elphabas. Mm-hmm, yeah. Adina Menzel and Stephanie J. Block. Adina did it on Broadway first. Stephanie J. Block did all of the uh, the the readings and development. Then she also had Lindsay Mendez, Jessica Vosk, Eden Espinosa, Alexia Kadimi, Julia Murney, Lindsay Pierce, Rachel Tucker, and Carrie Ellis. Getting folks from across the, uh, across the pond as well. Uh, it was fantastic. It was great. Uh, and the way that they handled the iconic ending of the song, the ah, 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 um, was <laughs> so good. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's been I, I wasn't all iconic. over, all over the Twitter too. Yeah, um, but it was the ending was just one of the silliest things that I've seen in yeah. a while, and it just made me giggle. Uh, probably more than it was actually intended to, but it was still probably. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, but it was still a ton of fun. Uh, we will have a link to the entire concert in the show notes. Uh, so check that out. What she did with Jeremy and uh, Cynthia was also fantastic. Oh, I didn't get to uh, see that, but I yeah. will absolutely be checking it out. Yeah, so definitely a great time. And uh, send some bucks over to Beaverton High School as well, if you'd like. Yeah. All right, Ashley, that is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? 
You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. All right, don't forget tomorrow we will not have it today on Broadway. Instead, I will be talking with Professor. I don't know why I'm like emphasizing that he's a professor. Like he didn't make he didn't tell me his name was Professor Jordan Shieldcraft. That's actually his first name. Yeah, his name actually is Doctor. Uh, no, <laughs> Dr. but Jordan Shieldcraft, who was great, he is a. Uh, professor uh, in New York at, ooh, at one of the one of the SUNY schools, SUNY Purchase, I believe. Uh, mm. But he's also a dramaturg. But uh, it's a great conversation. Check that out. You will get it first at patreon.com slash broadwayradio and then in the regular feed the next morning. So everybody have a wonderful hump day and we will be back to talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.